Good morning. Man, it's so good to see you. And I know I'm a little late on this, but let me wish you a happy new year. Man, I, I don't know what you're thinking about the new year. In fact, that's a great question. As you look into 2022 and you just think about what could be, don't, don't, don't do it with your church eyes right now because we, if we're not careful, we can tend to lie our, to ourselves. But I want to know, what's your outlook? What's your attitude? What's your mindset towards 2022? See, I'm confident it has great relevance to us as followers of Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We, we are in the midst of reality that there's another wave of the pandemic that's going on right now. And we're trying to wrestle what does that mean and what does it look like? How do we live with it? How do we avoid it? How do we do stuff like that? And then you go to your social media feeds and there's all sorts of stuff coming across that's negative after negative after negative. And if you dare venture onto a news website... There's all these clickbait headlines, and they are all radicalized and all way out there, all very, very negative. And you look at that, and you have to ask yourself, what, what is my outlook? I mean, what is my When I look to 2022, what is it that I really see? Do I see something great and something awesome? Or do I look to it with dread, overwhelmed? You look at our society, our society's struggling. The minds of people in our society in general are wrestling right now. Recently, I saw a news article that talked about birth rates in America. Birth rates in America have been on decline since 2016, greatly accelerated during the pandemic. Our birth rate is now lower than our death rate, and that has implications for any kind of society that we'll have to talk about at a later time. But social scientists are speculating on why there's been such a decline in the birth rate, and one of their speculations really intrigued me. It really set up to take notice. They said there is a rise in hopelessness when it comes to the future. I mean, one lady said it well. Listen to what she says. She says, in an increasing, increasingly hostile and unstable world, I have found myself in recent years questioning whether bringing another soul into the world is a selfish or irresponsible act. I'm not generally a pessimistic person, but trends over the past couple of decades, I'm talking about violence, overpopulation, pollution, disease proliferation, climate change, and more give me a little reason to believe the world would be a hospitable or positive environment for, a, for any children I choose to have, at least by the time they become adults. I don't think I'm being overly fearful. I would challenge her statement there. But anyway, these concerns are real, not untrue. And they're got going away. If anything, they're very likely to worsen. Now, let's be honest enough to say, as we listen to her, part of us is going, yeah, that, that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, when I read it, that's what I first did, man. I was just like starting to nod my head in agreement. But then I remembered. And by remembered, I believe the spirit of the Almighty brought my brain back to truth. And I remembered reality. The world has always had trouble. There was a guy, maybe you've heard of him, his name's Jesus. And he said, in this world you will have trouble. Every generation has faced things that are overwhelming. Every generation has faced things that can lead towards hopelessness. Man, it feels like every generation has had speculations of demise. Most of you in here are younger than me, like way younger but I'm old enough to remember when we did this in school. Now, I know some of you young guys are like, what in the world are you doing right here? Believe it or not, this was what was going to save us in the event of a nuclear blast from the Soviets. 
I mean, we did the duck and cover drills regularly uh, in our school. We lived, well, I grew up in 50 miles from a nuclear weapons assembly plant called Pantex outside of Amarillo. Everyone in my hometown, even those of us in elementary school, we just knew that we were like one of the top five targeted sites in the United States of America by the Soviets. How we had that intel from the Soviet Union, I don't know. But we all had that. And so regularly in our schools, we would do this. And I remember one day looking at the top of the desk and somebody had carved their initials in it. And I'm thinking, what do these people think that if you can carve your desk into something with a pencil, that it's somehow going to save me from a nuclear plant, a blast? You know what I'm saying, right? But we did this again and again and again. And so it proliferated the fear of the demise of our society. This is your social media feed often. But it doesn't happen on a quarterly basis like it did in school. Daily, moment by moment. This is the internet news sites. This is what our brain is being fed right now. Listen to me. We're not the first generation to face a new year with a world that seems overwhelming. We're not the first people looking into a new year facing circumstances that seem to point to the logic of hopelessness. Hear me, I'm not trying to minimize the reality of our world. I'm no way doing it. I know the last couple of years have been tough. I know that what we face in the days to come doesn't seem to be uh, positive in some ways. I get it, but I don't think we've yet come close to feeling some of the realities that the first century followers of Jesus felt. Those first century followers of Jesus would wake up and many of them would have to ask the question, is this the day? Is this the day I lose my job because I follow Jesus? Is this the day I lose my freedom because I follow Jesus? Is this the day I or somebody in my family lose their life because of following Jesus? And an apostle by the name of Peter, that impetuous guy, that we read about in the Gospels, who had an encounter with the Holy Ghost on the day of Shavuot, so great, it transformed the reality of who he was. He wrote in the 50s or 60s AD, 20, 30 years after Jesus, he wrote to the followers of Jesus dispersed all over the empire, shouting to them who were facing the difficulty of life, a reminder that you and I need to hear. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Somebody shout hope. Come on, how many of you want hope in this new year? That is our inheritance. That is what has been given to us through the resurrection of Jesus through the dead. Listen to me. If we will put on the lens of faith and we will see all of reality through the lens of Jesus, we have every reason not just to live with hope, but there is a promise that there is joy and peace that are the fruit of hope in our life. Hope that is not connected to when the pandemic becomes endemic. It's not connected to whether the political party you most agree with is in charge or not in charge. Our hope, hear me, is not tied to anything that we might be facing in this life. The Apostle Paul asked a question about living in the reality of this fallen world. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now maybe we don't face sword or nakedness or danger or famine or persecution but the feel of these words, come on. Isn't that what a lot of us feel? It's what the world feels like. It's always felt that way. 
And he asks, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will any of this do it? And he makes this resounding reclaim. No, in all these things, in the trouble, in the nakedness, in the famine, in the hardships, in the difficulties, all that we might face, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am confident, that word confident, convinced is the same word for hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's a confidence that comes because of the reality of Jesus. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Hear me, we have hope because our Father is King of kings and he is Lord of lords and he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grain and he will return, listen to me, he will return and reign over all things and make all things right. And while we wait in anticipation for his return, Jesus promises we can live our day-to-day life right now January of 2022, we can live not as survivors. We're not just going to make it through 2022. We're not just going to conquer. We are going to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. You say, David, why is that? Because there's one in you that is greater than the one in the world. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Listen, among the many things we've graciously been given by Jesus, So many gifts that he's deposited in us, he has deposited a living hope for you and I. But just because we have something doesn't mean we live in it. I want you to listen to me. There's a truth in the kingdom that we often miss. And that truth is we must possess by faith everything we've been given. We don't like to walk in this reality. We like to say, well, if God's given me something, it's automatic. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. God gives you something, and then by faith, we lay hold of that which he has given us. You go all the way back to the children of Israel, who are a type, a symbol of who we are as followers of Jesus. They were pulled out of Egyptian slavery. They had to wander in the wilderness just because they lacked faith in God. A new generation rose up, and God says, I have given you a land. It's an inheritance that I promised not just to you. I promised it to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is your inheritance. I have given it to you. But notice what he tells Joshua, the leader. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Have given. Not will give. Have give. Have given. Just as I promised to Moses. But note reality. If they didn't put the sole of their foot on that land, they never possess what they've been given. Everything we've been given, Jesus, we must possess by faith. And there's not a single person among us right now. I don't care how you're engaging. I don't care if you're at the North Campus, you're at our South Campus physical location, we've got our online family. There's not a single person among us as we look into 2022 that we say, I don't want to walk in more hope. I want to live in a place of confidence. We've already been given hope. We this year must possess that which we have already been given. And the way we possess hope, I need you to listen to me on this because this is so important. The way we possess hope is we must do it together. Say together. This is a massive word, and it's, I'm telling you, of all the things the enemy is wanting to do in this season, he is wanting to isolate do you know you can come into big rooms and be isolated? Do you know sometimes people come into big rooms on purpose to be isolated? Do you know you can go online to be isolated? Online's great. In the room's great. Isolated is a place you need to be wary of. 
because you have an enemy. Make no mistake. Be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The, prey, the predator always goes after the isolated prey. And what the enemy wants to do is isolate. And more than ever, we need to grab hold of the hope and we must do it together. I'm going to challenge you more than ever, we need the church. But not in the way we normally think of church. So Peter wrote the letter. We call it First Peter. In fact, I would encourage you this week, if you don't have something you're reading regularly in your Bible, maybe you can add it to what you're regularly reading. Read First Peter. Five chapters. Five chapters, so that means one chapter a day, two mulligan days. You're great. It's a word for a church facing a difficult circumstance. It's a word we need to hear. Peter is talking to these early followers of Jesus, and he's talking to us, and he says, as you come to Jesus... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Speaking of Jesus, you yourselves like living stones. So think to yourself right now, I'm a stone. I know that. I'm not stoned. That's not what we're saying, okay? I am a stone being built up as the spiritual house. Say house. This is a big word right here. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now for a moment, I want you to get a picture in your mind of a house. Maybe your house. When you see your house in your mind's eye, what do you see? I confess the first thing I see is the litany of projects that need to be done at my house, right? Everybody who owns a house, like home ownership means you've got a list of projects that always need to be done. I've had people say, well, do those lists ever go away? No. They never go away altogether. It's just part of owning a home. Thank God that we have homes that we can work on. Amen? But don't, don't maybe think about that. Don't see that. Feel. What do you feel when you see your house? See, I can think of the house I live in right now. I can think of the house that I grew up in, my parents. 55 years have lived in that house, so I get the blessing of going back to it. I've got feelings. You know that when a house is healthy, not perfect, healthy, then a house is a place of safety and security. It's a place where you can grow and thrive, not because of the physical structure, but because of the family that dwells there. When I see my house, you know what I feel? Hope. That's what Peter's talking about here. When we think of the church, not in the way we normally think of church, that is what we should feel. Our spiritual house, the church should be a place of hope. But notice, the spiritual house that he's talking about building isn't a building. It isn't a place. It isn't an event to attend. The spiritual house that God is now building is made by people for people. The spiritual house of God is made by the living stones for people. This would have been a radical thought to Peter. Peter was a Jew living in the first century. He grew up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in a village called Bethsaida. In every village, they had a place where they worshiped. They called it a synagogue. But every synagogue faced the house of God. The house of God wasn't the synagogue. The house was the temple in Jerusalem. Every synagogue all over Israel faced the synagogue. There were symbol after symbol pointing them to the synagogue. Three times a year, catch this, three times a year, these people who had no mode of transportation except their feet, three times a year, they would travel to the house of God in Jerusalem. They would walk at least three days one week, one way, three days back, and they would go to the house of God, and they would celebrate the feast there. See, 
See, the Jewish people just knew that they were God's chosen people, that they were a priesthood unto God, that they were a people belonging to God for one reason. They had the house of God. They had the temple where God was to be worshipped. And if you looked at a guy like Peter and everyone who was raised in first century Judaism, they said, we have hope in our God because we have the temple. But now Peter says something radical has happened because of the grandness of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. When we become a follower of Jesus, his work so radically alters the essence of his followers that life isn't centered on a building or an event anymore. See, the house of God is not where we go. The house of God is who we now are. In fact, Peter says, but you say me, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Each of these phrases used in the Old Testament to refer to the temple. But Peter has this revelation. And he is shouting to those early followers of Jesus. And he is shouting 2,000 years down the road to you and I that the amazing has occurred. And he's saying the house of God is no longer the temple. Hear me. We together, the living stones, those who have been changed in the very essence of who we are by Jesus. We who carry the hope of Jesus, the church. We are now the house of God. And what does the house of God do? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his his marvelous light. Light in the midst of darkness is what? Hope. And we are the ones who carry it. The church is the source of hope, but not church as we think about it. See, if I ask you this morning to do a word association with church, I would dare say 90-some-odd percent of us would come up with one of three answers. When I say, what do you think about a church? You think about what I go to on Sunday. If you're radical and not going to be at church that weekend, you go on Thursday or you go online. We think of an event to attend. Or we think of the building that hosts that event. Let's go up to the church. Maybe the third response is you're thinking of your New Year's resolution that we need to go to Church more often. But like those first followers of Jesus, when they heard about the house of God, they normally thought of a building or an event that they could be a part of. And just like those early followers of Jesus, there needs to be a radical shift in our thinking. A paradigm shift so great that I'm going to challenge you to make a New Year's resolution. You ready? It's real simple. Stop going to church. I know some of you are about to fold up your stuff and say, all right, I'm out of here. Stop going to church. I need you to listen to me. This that we're doing right here is not church. Not according to the New Testament. It doesn't matter if this is a physical service or an online service. This is not church. This building that we're in, North or South Campus, not church. Church is not an event we attend. Church is not a building we go to. Church is a people to become. Church is not where we go, but who we are. I challenge us this new year. Let's stop going to church. And let's ask God for grace to be the church. 
Because we need the church more than any other time that I can remember. We will not possess the hope. We will not possess the confidence that we're intending to live with without each other. Back in the Old Testament, talking about the temple as the house of God, the temple that was the forerunner, the type of you. Do you know the scripture says that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are now the temple. But the temple in the Old Testament was a forerunner, a type of you and I. And the scripture says that the righteous flourish. Now, I know we don't use the flourish, word flourish much, here, much anymore, right? We don't say, well, I'm going to join a gym this year so I can flourish. That's not one we thrive. But we know what flourish means, right? We know it means to succeed, to get better, to grow, to thrive. And every one of us want to grow and thrive. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And immediately in West Texas, we see the word cedar and we struggle. Right? Because we know what cedar means. Cedar means that my nose is running, my eyes are watering. I have got every symptom of COVID, it feels like, but it's not due to COVID. It's due to cedar fever. You know what I'm saying? How many of you are allergic to cedar? Put your hands up right now. The rest of you are liars because I know better, right? I know. I don't know if they had allergies in this day, but I know this. Anytime they used the word cedar, they had an image of endurance, See, cedar is one of the hardest woods in existence, and the plant will thrive where almost nothing else will thrive, which is probably why we have a lot of them around here. Add to it the palm. The palm tree, symbol of victory. When somebody won something like in the Olympic Games, they crowned them with crowns made out of palm leaves. They handed palm leaves. When a king would come victorious back into his city, they would lay palm branches down on the ground in front of him, and he would ride in front of them. And some of you think, well, that, that's like what they did with Jesus on Palm Sunday. Exactly. You take the cedar, and you take the palm, you put them together, it's an image of victory over a long, long, long period of time. It's a picture of hope. The righteous flourish. Say flourish. See, I know you want it. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And this hope that we see in the palm tree and the cedar, it belongs to the righteous. They're righteous because they are planted where? In the house of God. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Notice, righteousness that leads to flourishing, that leads to hope, comes as we are planted. I'm not talking about casually attending something. I'm not talking about just throwing in a little religious activity with all the stuff of life. These people are planted. Hear me, church is not where we go. It's not a building we go to. It's not an event to attend. It's who we are. And we need to plant ourselves one with another. And when we start planting ourselves together, we're going to walk in hope, more hope, and more hope. And we need each other for that hope. And now, even as I say that, I know some of you are thinking, David, do you know the church is like messed up? Yeah. Believe it or not, I'm around it a lot. I probably see the more messed up nature of the church than any one of us around. I get it. I get the struggle. I intimately understand that sometimes we as a church don't focus enough on Jesus and we focus on ourselves. I understand the church is full of hypocrites. You want me to make a confession to you? Your church is led by a hypocrite. If by hypocrite we mean somebody who professes that this is the way of God, but sometimes I do something different. 
That's me. I don't want to, but I do. And don't look at me all smug like you don't know what I'm talking about. Because we all a bunch of hypocrites, right? Now, there's varying degrees of that. And most people are talking about a high-end degree, but at some level, we're very much an imperfect people who, have, who are on a journey just to go better. Guys, I know church isn't always a safe place. I know we haven't always allowed people to struggle and to wrestle and to have doubts. Hear me. I can't speak for all churches, but I can speak for us. Us, South Campus, us, North Campus, us online. Us hasn't arrived. In fact, we got some guests with us here. And some of you are like saying, man, I am just looking for the perfect church. If that is really your definition of the church you're looking for, don't come back here next week, okay? Because we will utterly disappoint you. And honestly, if we were the perfect church and you showed up, we'd be imperfect at that point, right? Because we are all on that journey. We are a people who just say we're taking our next steps with Jesus Christ. I know better than most the flaws and failings of the church, but listen to me. I know the promises of God. And I know the power of God. And I know God who looked at the Apostle Paul and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And some of us are seeking the power of God in our life. And the way God brings it is through weakness. Us. The church. Jesus uses the church each other in all our weaknesses and imperfections and struggle to do the vast majority of his work in our lives. You remove yourself functionally from each other, you will miss the majority of what God wants to do in your life. And you'll miss out on the hope you want to walk in. Next Friday, January 14th, I will celebrate the greatest day in my existence. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you think really highly of your marriage. I do think highly of my marriage, but my anniversary is not the greatest day in my existence, as great as it was. Well, you think really highly of one of your children. That would be awkward to think that one child's birth is the greatest day of my existence, and the others were like, eh, less than that. <laughs> I love the birth of my children, not the greatest day of my existence. Not everybody has the same story that I have, but I have the story that I know the day, the place, almost to the minute, the day God gave me grace to become his follower. I remember where I was, I remember what I was doing, I remember the presence of God. And that happened 42 years ago this Friday. For four decades, I have been loving, serving, and growing in Jesus. For a little over four decades, I have lived with hope. And without a doubt, the vast majority of what God has done in my life, the way he has worked, which has been tremendous, I'm going to estimate 95%, and I think that's low. He has done it through the church. He has done it through men and women like you. When I was a young man and I had a call on my life and I was doubting that call and wondering if it ever come about. I don't know that I would ever be able to do what I'm doing right now. I can hear the voices of the men and women who would encourage me. Who would tell me the grace of God is greater than your weakness. The power of God in you will be greater than what you have in and of yourself. It is because of the church that I'm able to live out the calling God has on my life. When I talk, think about the ways I have grown. 
the different steps of faith I've taken. When I, when I think about the step of faith we took to come to Beltway Park from where we were, I can remember the prophetic words. Those prophetic words didn't come to me. They came to somebody in the church who came to me with the word, and God spoke. And God spoke that we were to be here, and he spoke through a weak, imperfect vessel who was part of the church. When life has been exceptionally hard, and like every family, we've had seasons where life has been exceptionally hard. I've had a doctor look at me and say, you have cancer. That was 25 years ago. But I've heard the words. I've gotten the phone call that my grandson was in an accident. Things were bad. That happened 10 months ago. God was present. And you know how he was present? The church. He showed up again and again and again. When I showed up to the hospital, the church of Jesus was at the hospital already. When I had doubts, it was the church of Jesus that was praying in faith for reality. Praying that God would do something beyond what is norm. It was the church. With all her imperfections, with all her flaws, with all her weaknesses, the church of Jesus has enabled me to live in hope. Hear me. Maybe this reality is why my favorite proverb, bar none, Proverbs 14, 4, where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, do I have to spell that out for you? No ox, clean stall. Ox in the stall, you have what? Yeah, you don't know what word I'm going to use, do you? Yeah, you hear the boy will say anything. We will use the word we use in our house right now. You have poopy, right? You have manure. You have mess. But the benefits of the ox, the life, the strength, the fruit is worth the mess. And I can testify to you from my own life, from the life of literally thousands of people, the mess of the church is worth it. It is why the Hebrew writer said, let us not give up meeting together. Isn't it interesting? The issue of being isolated is not a COVID pandemic season issue. It goes all the way back to the first century. Because of the mess of the church, people, some people were just saying, I'll go it with me and Jesus. And the Hebrew writer said, you can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot thrive. You cannot flourish without being planted in the house of God. Let us not give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as the day of his return hastens. So we don't just come together to go through the motions of an event. We come to encourage Hear me, we don't gather on Thursdays and Sundays to go to church. We gather on Thursdays and Sundays to encourage each other that we are the church and we can be the church. And so we worship. We exalt him together. We declare the excellencies of his name so our lives together can recenter on the reality of our hope that he is king of all kings, that he is Lord of all lords and is king of all things. Even in the difficult things, he is working in all things for our good. He is going to finish everything he has become, uh, that he has begun in us. And listen to me, one day he is going to come back 
and he is going to reign over all things, and he is going to restore all things, and he is going to make all things right. And we gather to encourage each other with that. We gather in our groups so that we can have community together. We can interlink with one another. We can bear one another's burdens. We can speak words of life and hope. We can listen to each other, pray for each other. We can spur one another on to live out all that God has for our lives. The grace of God is sufficient for you to do everything he's called you to do. Sometimes you need people speaking that to you. I remember when I was here in the early days, a young lady came up to me, and she just asked a bold question. She said, did you miss me? And I had to be honest. Things were already hopping then. We had lots of people, lots of services, and I go, sweetheart, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. And she explained to me all the problems that had gone on in her life in the last few months. And she looked at me and said, this church failed me. I go, oh, I, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. We, we really want to be the church and love and do this. Man, tell me the group that you're in, and we will work with that group so we can be better and better about who we are. And she's go, she went, well, I'm not in a group. And I said, well, why not? She said, well, when you talked about getting in a group, I didn't need a group then. And I, normally I'm a real teddy bear and real nice and easygoing and all that. But something of authority came over me. And when she said, when you told us to get into groups, I didn't need one. I looked at her and said, that is the most selfish thing I've ever heard. She looked at me like you're looking at me now. And I said, maybe somebody in that group that you were going to be in needed you. They needed you to be the church and you withheld spirit of God in you from them and to be honest with you you came to a point in your life where you needed the church and you didn't plant yourself in the church so the church could be the church to you you waited till you needed something to try to get what you need and if you wait to get what you need until the time you need it you will not have it it's too late this year I implore you quit going to church Strive to be the church. If you desire to live with a hope that is lacking greatly in our world right now, and every one of us does, as messy and sometimes as much of a struggle as it is, I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is church. Not just something you attend. Not a building you go to. But the living stones of God's people built into a house that together declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Stop going to church. And let's ask God for the grace to be the church in 2022. Amen? Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Come on. We're going to be right here. We're starting 2022. Here's what I implore you to do. Let's plan ourselves in the house of God. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow, they thrive like cedars in Lebanon because they are planted in the house of God. They are planted in the courts of the Almighty. This is the year we need to plant ourselves. And so I implore you, wherever you are in your journey, maybe you're planted and you need to thank God for the people that God has in your life. And I want you to re-up your commitment to be the church to those who are in your life. We can't be church to everyone. 
but we can all have people in our lives that we are church for, that we carry hope, we speak life and truth. We can have tens of thousands of people. We just break ourselves down into groups, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. That's why we implore you to be part of a group. Gives us a chance to form community, man. Maybe you've not taken the step to be in a group, and today, North Campus, South Campus, there's places where you can take that step. I implore you right now, take that step and let's plan ourselves. If you are online, I need to talk to you specifically. There are some specific struggles that come with being part of an online campus. And I want you to know we're going to work to try to overcome those struggles. And one of those struggles is that of isolation. I mean, we're, we're not together in a physical building. If we're careful, we're not even in a group. We're going to be working to, to create groups in the days to come for all our online family. It doesn't matter if our online families in the greater big country area or if you're in South Dakota or in Greece or in Israel or any place like that. We're going to be doing our best to try to create this sense of community where we can walk together. I just need you to think right now, online campus, I need that. I need that. We can't isolate ourselves. And maybe you're in one of our physical locations, but you know you've functionally isolated yourself. I mean, this church is so easy to isolate yourself in. I mean, on a normal basis, we have six services at two locations at two days. You can sit on one side of one sanctuary one week. You can go to another sanctuary on another week. You can be online. The next week, you can go in different services, different time. No one knows if you're here. No one knows if you're not. And some of us are doing it that way on purpose. And we're wondering why it's not working because we're not planted. We're attending, not planted. We're going, we're not planted. You will not have the hope that you want to possess without being planted with each other. And I implore you to take that step to plant. To plant in the church so that you can be church for others and you can receive everything the church was meant to give from others. Maybe you need to be part of our growth track. Take those steps. I have people ask me, it's like, do I have to be a member to be saved? No. But you have to be planted in God's house to thrive. We grow where we're rooted. Membership is this way that we can root ourselves. You need to be rooted, in my opinion, in a church. Doesn't have to be Beltway Park. Lots of great churches in our town. If you don't think it's this church, you need to find a church to root in. But we want you to be planted. Make a commitment to do that this year. Would you make a commitment? that when we meet together, we're not going to give up meeting together. When we do so, let us encourage each other. Would you just say right now, God, give me grace to be a source of encouragement every time I'm meeting with God's people. When you come into a big room, find two or three people every week to encourage. Somehow, some way. God will give you words. Just look for them. And God will highlight them. If you're online, you're going to have to make some phone calls. Make some phone calls to people. Let's encourage each other. When you go to your small group, one you're going to join up with, make sure you're using words to bring encouragement. That when people are struggling, we're speaking words of faith. We're speaking words of life. We're speaking words of truth. We're encouraging each other. And Lord, will we make a commitment to do that right now? Come on, let's plan ourselves. If you would say right now, I want to live planted in the house of the Lord. You know what I mean by that? Among God's people. As much or more than I ever have in 2022, I just want to take you a bold step of faith right now. Without hesitation, raise your hand up right now and say, I'm going to plant myself in Jesus' name. I'm going to plant myself whatever steps I need to take more than I ever have. Yes, and put your hands down. I feel like I'm supposed to pray for a group of people before we go, though. Some of you have been hurt by church. 
I get it. I know the weaknesses and the flaws. I've hurt people. I don't, I don't want to, but I have. And some of us started coming to Beltway because it's big and I could get lost. I could attend and not be a part of it because of my woundedness. I believe this is a season God wants to heal that. He wants to enable you to walk in forgiveness, have wholeness, and be able to plant ourselves again. And if you would be so kind, so bold as to say, that's me. I think I have stayed a little bit more isolated, maybe even in the midst of a big room. Maybe you're online right now, and you say, I need healing from a church wound. I'm going to pray for that. Put your hand up right now and say, I need healing that way. Come on, just be bold right now. It could be here. It could be somewhere else. It doesn't matter. We want to see a source of healing in Jesus' name. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to do this. I want to thank you for your bride, the church. For almost 42 years, you have used her in all her weaknesses and failings to bring such great things to my life. I thank you for it. I thank you for the grace that I've had to be planted. I pray for every man and woman that is listening online, north or south campus, that we would have a grace to plant ourselves in the house of God this year that we would live as the living stones you've called us to be a source of encouragement. And I pray that healing would flow to those that have been wounded. In Jesus' name, I declare a season of healing, of forgiveness to be released and healing that will occur over these church wounds, that we might trust again and plant ourselves again. We love, we love you, Jesus, so much. We want to thrive in you, and our hope is found in you, and we want to carry this hope to each other, and we want to carry it to the world. We love and give praise to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.